One of the biggest weeks of all history is, of course, Holy Week, and the kickoff of that week is Palm Sunday, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. What does Palm Sunday mean for the people then as they looked for a political king, and what does it mean for us now as we recognize Jesus as our spiritual king? This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, April 13th, 2014. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we are con not continuing our series right now in the book of Matthew. So we have been in the book of Matthew for 13 weeks, which is a remarkable amount of time. And we're taking a break, although I think we could have pulled it off. There's only about three more lessons in the Sermon on the Mount. And the next one was uh, Ask and it will be given to you. And what better fulfillment than what is given in the prayers of the people than Jesus coming on Palm Sunday. And then we're two away from where Jesus says, Build your house on the rock. And I thought, how awesome would it be to preach on Easter and the stone rolled away saying, build your life in your house on the rock. Uh, it would have been awesome, but not awesome enough to like squeeze these two things together. So instead, we're going to handle these uh, part by part. So we're going to first look at Palm Sunday today and talk about some of that and the significance to the people then and the significance to us. And then we're going to look at Easter, of course, and then talk about the significance of the resurrection for all people. Then we will get back and finish off, just for closure, maybe just for me, I don't know if you feel like you need it, but just for me, for closure, we will finish the Sermon on the Mount in the, the weeks after that. We are in uh, Palm Sunday, and we've been talking about, during this, this Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking about warnings and Jesus' instructions for our life. How many of you are good at following instructions? Good. So some are good at following instructions, that's good. Um, it may be, wouldn't it be fantastic if you had kids that you just said something once and they would just do it like forever like that? That would, I think would be fantastic. Um, and I'm guessing, I heard a, a preacher once say that most Christians don't need to know more doctrine and more expectations of Jesus. We just need to do it. And I think there's something to that. And here's examples just in simple things in life. Um, how many of you get coffee? You can kind of read that label, but the label's very clear if you can read it. I might have made it go in red. I didn't make it go in red. Caution, very hot. I'm kind of a heat sissy when it comes to coffee. If you ever go out for coffee with me, I have to take the lid off and I have to let it sit there for about a half an hour. It's strictly medicinal for me, so the taste and the heat and things like that does not matter. But have you ever just taken it and you're like, oh, I'll just sneak one sip before I put some creamers in there? And it just shoots out of like that little hole and it burns your tongue every time. Have you done that more than once in your life? Now, some of the same people that said, hey, I'm good at following instructions and warnings are nodding their head that they have done this more than once. The problem isn't necessarily that we have never heard these things. Uh, the problem is fulfilling and follow through with them. I know we're just working on the cord. I'm not going to worry about it today, though. There we go. The, uh, the problem is fulfilling them. So as we get into Palm Sunday and uh, we recognize, oh my goodness, we have not followed and done what Jesus expects for us. We have not followed his commands. And with embarrassment, we come to worship him, recognizing we have not done this. But at the same time, what do we know happens on the greatest week of all time? Our Savior comes not just to rub it in our face that we never listen. Our Savior comes to fulfill an immaculate plan that starts right here to make sure that we can be with him. So this is the Palm Sunday account. This one's from Luke. There is no, I, I shouldn't say it that way. I was going to say there is no perfect Palm Sunday account. There is no account that has every single detail. So we're going to import some details from some of the other ones. So it's Palm Sunday, which is today. And we're talking about some distances here. Um, Jesus 
was staying with Mary and Martha in uh, Bethany. And how far away is Bethany? Do you know how far that is? We talked about it last year. So it's about two miles away. I'll just give this a squeeze. It's about two miles away, and which would be the equivalent if you've ever been to my house and you were going to come to church, that's how far away it was. So this is not a long distance. When I was a kid, I thought, oh, this is this huge, epic journey that they're going on. This is not very far. Jesus is staying at my house because where else would he stay in Castle Rock? So Jesus is staying at my house. He's making his way over to a celebration here, and the crowd starts to build. Now, the tables have started to turn as well. So don't think of Jesus like showing up on the scene to get baptized or... I've got nothing. I don't think of Jesus showing up on the scene. It's actually gotten worse. Um, so don't think of the scene of Jesus getting, uh, showing up for the uh, wedding at Cana's first miracle, and instantly everyone wants to kill them. As a kid, I always thought that. There's always um, distinct bad guys in movies, and there's always distinct good people uh, in most movies, unless it's like a weird David Lynch movie or something like that. But in most movies, or a Coen Brothers movie, there you can't tell who's bad or good. But in these... Uh, there's usually good and bad people, but that's not how it functions. So they started to observe Jesus for a number of years, and it moves into three years. And the real tipping point, if you're following along, is the real tipping point when they say, this guy's got to die, happens when Lazarus is dead. And that's happening right in Bethany. So imagine this happens at my house. Now, dead people don't happen at my house. Only Jesus stays at my house. So Lazarus died at my neighbor's house. It's very close by. And he is resurrected from the dead. Jesus is the one who does that. And it says people started to put their faith in him. And right at that moment is one of the tipping points, it says in Scripture, where they say, this guy's got to die. One of the other moments that changed, it would have been last night. So if you follow the scriptural account, there's a big event that happens last night. There's a huge party, and Jesus is invited, and Mary is there, and she anoints Jesus with a year's worth of perfume. So there's like... I don't know what a year's wage is to you, but like $40,000 worth of perfume. And remember last year we smelled the spike nard, and it's it, transformational. It smells so good. It's st there's still, once in a while, I'll get whiffs of it. I put it in double plastic bags, except uh, I'll go in like my thing of children's stuff things, and it gets on my hands, and I, I can't get rid of the richness that is now on my hands. Well, this was the tipping point not for the disciples. This is a tipping point for whom? that suddenly their attitude changes completely. Judas. So if you're following, you can see like it's at that moment that this starts to tip and, Jesus, and Judas actually goes and talks to the teachers of the law because they're hanging out, the teachers of the law, saying, this guy's got to die. This is weeks. And now Judas shows up and says, hey, um, I will show you who this guy is. So they make this plan. And the plan is this. Uh, when you go off to college, you come back probably for the first holiday if you went away to college, not if you stay home at college. Um, if you went away to college, you probably came home for, I'm guessing, Thanksgiving. That's usually the big event when you come back home and you got like a new hairstyle and now you're wearing Birkenstocks or something like that. Um, so this is the big event, you and you've added about 15 pounds. Uh, but you come back home from college after your freshman or sophomore year, and it's Thanksgiving. They anticipated, because of this holiday, that all Jewish people around would actually make their way to Jerusalem. So no matter where you lived, he's from Nazareth, it didn't matter. Where you lived, everybody made this pilgrimage, at least the devout people, make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So the teachers of the law, just imagine this, are hanging out saying, like, how are we going to get this guy? Judas shows up and says, I will show you, and I'll bring you to Jesus. 
and now they said, you know, let's just wait and see if this guy shows up at the festival. This is how Jesus uh, comes. So after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem, because it's up a higher elevation, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, and remember that the hill is on the east side of uh, Jerusalem, and it's kind of, and there's a valley in between it, and you can look. He sent to his disciples, saying to them, Go to the villages ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Now, you've probably heard this account enough. Is there anything that seems unusual with this? I'll just phrase it a different way. Um, I need a ride home, so just go in the parking lot. Now, go to one of the neighbor's houses and take a car, and the keys might be in it, so if the key, check the gas tank if they're not in there um, at the ski hill. So check the, yeah, I need a ride from the ski hill we'll use, because that's where everyone puts their gas, I mean, their, I shouldn't have told you that. So check the gas tank, and if the person catches you, just tell them that Jared needs it. Does this seem odd to you? Like when as a kid I thought, man, I bet he's trying to avoid doing embarrassing things. Do you ever convince people to do embarrassing things that you don't want to do with like a straight face? This happened to me with my wife. So um, you know how uh, Sears has a lifetime warranty on their hand tools? I had a rusty saw that was broken in half, and I didn't have the other half. I only had the, the business, uh, like the, the handle end. And I was too embarrassed to take it to Sears, so it sat on my, my tools for a long time. And I said one time, Amy was going to the mall. I'm like, hey, can you stop by Sears? they got lifetime warranty. Can you swap my, my saw out? She's like, yeah, no problem. So she, I'm too embarrassed to do it. She goes, she comes home with this gleaming brand new saw. It's fantastic. And it's a win-win for everybody. I'm not embarrassed, and I didn't have to go get the saw. So that worked out. In math, uh, you're probably doing the math right now. 50% of us would have been embarrassed, but in math, at 0.5, you round up. So nobody, it, this is a win-win for everybody. It almost seems like this with Jesus, but we know Jesus is not embarrassed about this. In fact, it seems that they know what's going on. As it says, it says, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And apparently let it go. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks. We have to import the palm branch from uh, Matthew account. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, remember, we're going down this valley and then into the city. There would have been on the east side, they're going down the valley and then entering the gate into the city. That's all blocked off now if you go to Jerusalem um, because they, this is a side note. It's all blocked up now. Have you ever seen a picture of Jerusalem and that whole wall is just like walled off with bricks? Uh, the reason that is, is they don't want anyone to go there. Now there's a cemetery there, and I've told you this before. The Jewish people who are most devout are positive Jesus is going to return the same place to Jerusalem that he came for Palm Sunday. So they, there's a premium on the grave sites there because they want to be the first ones when Jesus comes back. Okay, uh, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voices for all the miracles they had seen, and that's key, the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So, there's only a few things to the Palm Sunday account. If you think, like, what are the things that make this distinct, what are they? I'd say there's about three. Number one, Jesus rides on a donkey. Uh, number two, the palm branches. And number three, what they say. 
So the, I would say the donkey, the palm branches, and what they say. When you've heard sermons, and I've heard a number of these, I'm 38 years old, I've heard a number of sermons, what is the main point people make with Jesus riding in on a donkey? Do you guys ever go to church on Palm Sunday? Right, what's the main point that the preacher usually makes with Jesus riding in on a donkey? Usually it's the humility. So the idea is this. If you are really the king of the whole universe and you're entering into a city, you're not going to drive my car. You're going to probably drive like this Lincoln Town Car limousine type thing. So that's the picture of it. And that's true to some extent. If you're a Roman who had just conquered another nation, they ride in on these giant war horses and things like that. That might be a little bit of a stretch, though, to say that this activity here is showing Jesus' ultimate humility. First of all, uh, Solomon, when he was coronated, what do you think he rides? A donkey. Uh, David, at a time, rides a donkey. So the bigger thing really is not so much that this, this beast of burden is so humble, like Jesus riding my 1983 car or something like that. The, the picture really is a fulfillment of prophecy. Remember that prophecy from uh, Zechariah? It says, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. So the donkey is showing one thing, that Jesus is really Savior of the world, the one who's going to come. The palm branches uh, also have some significance in that when the Jewish people have been under the Roman rule for a long time, and they have tried at various times to rebel against the Roman government. So they don't just like kind of move along and say, hey, everything's fantastic. They dream of the day that they are done with the Romans. They dream of this. So at various times, you're going to run into various popular Jewish people. And if you've ever heard of, it's not in the Bible, Jewish Maccabeus, Judas Maccabeus. Okay, so you've heard of him. His nickname is The Hammer, which I think is the greatest nickname ever. If I could do something to figure out, I'd get the nickname The Hammer, I would do it. But Jewish Maccabeus, that's his nickname, he attempts a rebellion. In fact, this is one of the festivals that still happens in the Jewish faith. He attempts a rebellion, and one of the things that they do is they would print propaganda. So think back to like World War I and II. Can you picture the propaganda that's going on? There's two famous ones. One is Uncle Sam Wants You, and he kind of looks like this with the hat and the scruffy beard, the red, white, and blue. The other one is You Can Do It, like this. Uh, the lady with the, uh, it looks like Laverne and Shirley with the, the head tie. That's because those are the reasonably politically correct ones that you can see. If you've ever seen the non-politically correct propaganda, um, there's depictions of Japanese people, and it's really not good. So just like Google World War I, World War II propaganda, and it's unbelievable. That's kind of what they did. So to get the people to rally around and say, this is our cause, they would actually print coins. And the Jewish special coins that they used in order to, like, let's avoid the Roman coins, Let's start using our own coins. Always had, you can guess, palm branches on them. So now Jesus enters into town, fulfilling the prophecy on a donkey. They lay down their cloaks, and they lay down palm branches to say, you are the one who's going to come. What do they say? Hosanna. Save us. This is not the first time that this has been spoken to a Jewish king. Uh, in Samaria, they, they went around the uh, city. And if you have like a book of the weirdest stories in the Bible, uh, there's the one where the prophet cuts up his concubine and sends it to the 12 tribes. Are you familiar with that one? Okay, sometimes I'll have a sermon series for adults only, like the weirdest things that ever happened. Uh, Judah and his daughters is also weird. Um, 
This is one of them. They're trapped in their city, and they, they have no food coming in, and it tells you the price of a donkey's head. So apparently they would boil the donkey's head. Now, you probably eat the steaks. Uh, you probably eat the steaks. So steaks are good. And then um, you might eat, like, the liver if you know someone. You might eat um, the tongue. Some people, that gets kind of weird. This is of a cow. How many of you eat donkeys? So they get so, so tight on food that they're saying the price of the donkey head was eight shekels. And then they tell you the price of, then they tell you the price of what um, dove dung is. So the people were so hungry, they're boiling donkey heads. They're eating this, um, the feces of doves. And it tells you the price points for those. So it's like the chart. Here's what you can buy. And these two ladies get so desperate. The king comes by, and uh, they say to her, you know, the king, they say to the king, help us, Hosiana, save us. The situation was this. The one lady said to the other lady, we're out of food, let's cook your child and eat it today, and tomorrow we'll cook my child. I told you this is in the weirdest sections of the Bible. So they, and in fact they did. So the first day they cooked the one child and eat it, the next day, what, if, what do you suppose happens? The other lady says, like, uh-uh, this is not happening. No, I'm not going to do it. She freaks out, and that's the word she says in desperation to the king, Hoshiana, save us. The people at this time in Israel politically are about that desperate. They're in this point where the, the taxes are absurd. I told someone the offerings expected of Jewish people are upwards of 20%, 20 to 30%. The taxes, they never put a number on them, but they just say they're just crazy amounts of taxes. They don't have their freedom. They've got a puppet king in, and they're just dreaming of the day. Like the Bible says, just imagine you're a Christian, and it says the Bible says a king is coming, a king that is going to bring freedom and power and do things that is going to change our life forever. And here comes Jesus, the voices of all the miracles they had seen. Here comes the man who has healed the blind, fed 5,000 people, who can raise Lazarus from the dead, he's coming into town, and they say, here's the king, save us. Not everybody likes their response. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, remember, they're at the point where they're ready to, to actually kill this human being. In the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples, I tell you, he replied, if they can keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As a kid, I always pictured this, how awesome that would be, because I pictured, like, these round rocks, walls. I don't know if you did the same things, and then they just start, like, doing, like, Muppet heads, because Muppets somehow have a, the mouth in the middle of their face and their whole head, like, on hatches. I, that's how I picture the stones happening. But I think, to some degree, stones do proclaim God's glory, don't they? I mean, if you look at, like, a diamond, or if you look at, like, the stones beyond uh, normal stones, you can see, like, there is some history here, and I think a proclamation of the glory of God. There's pressure over time. There's heat that has happened, some formed by molten lava. Has anyone ever taken, like, a geology course in college? Has anyone passed a geology course in college? There, you're my new hero, because we took it, and um, we took this geology course, the same guy who had astronomy. Easy A, no problem. I mean, the stars are the stars, and it's not that difficult. They lay the rocks out on a table, and you are, your job was to identify which rocks are what. Open book. And you're like, oh, this will be really easy. But you look at your pictures and you look at the rocks and it's like watching like a little kid lacrosse game. You're like, they all look the exact same. 
And so now you see parents that put like neon one yellow sock on their kid because you can't tell the difference. They're standing next to you and you're like, is this my kid? And this is how it is. So the rocks all lay out. You can't tell the difference. But I think they do proclaim God's glory. My question is, do we do a better job proclaiming God's glory than rocks? And if you think of your life, if, if people just had rocks to look at and diamonds and jewels and things like that, I think you'd get a picture of what a fascinating, artistic, amazing, powerful God we have. What kind of picture do people get when they see what you do? So these drawings, are you a good artist? I'm not especially a good artist. Anyone who's taken my Bible basics knows that. Um, I'm not especially a good artist, so I, I stole these pictures from someplace if you've ever taken an art class, one of the classic things that they do is they take a face, and then they cut it in half, and then you draw the other half. So some of these are pretty good. Uh, do you know what movie star that is? No one has any idea? What's that? PETA? Oh, I don't know who that is. I'm like, PETA? Like... This is a guy who does not like, you know, he's for pro-animals. And uh, no, this is Daniel Radcliffe. I actually thought this picture was pretty good. I, I think this is pretty good for, I'm not saying I got him from this building a couple years ago, but um, for like someone who's perhaps seventh or eighth grade. I've got another couple options. Who is that? Obviously. Obviously, that's uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, that's our president. Um, and this one, I, I think this one's pretty obvious as well. So there's different skill levels. There's obviously different skill levels in artistic world. This has happened to you probably with your own kids or yourself. You try and draw like a realistic animal. You're drawing like a dog, and then your mom is like, that is so unique. It looks like, um, and you use the pause things. You do that with your own kids. You're like, wow, that's an amazing horse. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it was, so, it was so perfect. I mean, it looked like it was like galloping. It's sitting. And then like galloping in its sleep while it sits. You know, like you can't quite tell these things. My question to you is, if we were going to do this with Jesus, what would people see? with your own behavior? What, would, what is people's vision of what you see? Do they see a God who's truly amazing or do they think there's a God who's greedy because we're greedy? Do they see a God who loves all people or do they see a God who is judgmental to people because we're judgmental? Do we see a God that is willing to um, go to where people are, are at or a God that says, you know what, I'm just not going to get involved in that? Do they see a God who's willing to forgive, or do they see by our own actions a God who says, I'm willing to go so far, but then I'm done? That, that's straight out sin, and you and I do not deserve to be at the Palm Sunday festival. But the amazing thing about our Savior is, just because we can't make a decent rep uh, representation does not mean that's not who he is. We saw those pictures. That is not Woody Harrelson. That doesn't mean like the other half of Woody Harrelson looks like that, right? It doesn't mean the other half looks, uh, of our president looks like that. Just because someone drew it that way, just because our actions don't give the most beautiful picture of who Jesus is does not mean he's not beautiful and not mean he's not amazing. It does not mean that he's, not, he's come here with all power and glory to be the true king or as it says in Philippians, that every knee will bow 
and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. I think it's Simba who says, I can't wait to be king. Jesus didn't have to wait to be king. He is absolutely king as he shows up on this gentle donkey with the people shouting and the Pharisees getting angry, and he's absolutely king in your own life. And our goal is not to misrepresent him, but instead our actions fulfill the picture of Christ so that when you interact with people, they say, I think God is like, kind of like you, that loves people, that cares about people, that cares about people's lives and the hurts that are going on. And we have a God that's like that. And you can say that, you know what? I'm an ugly picture of what God is. Wait till you see the real thing. Amen.